All right, here we go. In 2020, four friends decided to listen to every one of the greatest 500 albums. That, oh, f*** you, Rob. Okay. <laughs> Erase it. Erase it. Just kidding. I Rob, can't believe Rob had to write that that screw up down as like the only funny joke of the podcast. Right yeah, now. no, that's my that's beat up. That's my that was my solo. Was my solo was just me starting and say Fuck you, Rob. So that's pretty much how my whole life has been. Okay, and oh, and then I started again. <laughs> this is not in. This is getting cut out. It's a good thing that Rosie's editing this because all this stuff is staying in. Oh yeah. God, damn it! Yeah, no, I'm sending this to him on GarageBand. I hope he knows how to use GarageBand. Yeah. In 2020, four friends decided to listen to every one of the greatest 500 albums as decided by Rolling Stone magazine. This resulted in a text chain that celebrated the music, excoriated the order, and led us to making this podcast. We are far from experts, and we promise to do almost no research. Research. All opinions are our own unless you disagree. Please sit back and enjoy. Beck did it better. We are all the way up to album 31. This is Miles Davis. Kind of cool. Now, guys, I was listening kind to the... Um, I know kind you guys don't do this, but I was listening to the Jimi Hendrix episode from last week, and it was not good. It sucked, okay? I'm just going to say it right now. Now, is part of it that our listeners are not giving us a lot of great voicemails and emails to go off of? Yes, that's mostly who I blame is actually our <laughs> listeners. Damn right. But I think we got to make some changes here. So I, I just was really disappointed. So I was researching Miles Davis, and he said, you know, the only thing that I, I love to do more than anything else is change. So I was thinking, guys, we should make a big change on this podcast. Oh, no. And, and I think the big okay. change we're going to make is that instead of are telling you like, give me that firing card, like Aaron was talking about, how they don't get a card before they get fired. Did I get a yeah. card in the mail today? <laughs> Make it a good one. Uh, <laughs> great. Great one. Great one. That's my problem. I've been putting make it a good one. Everybody's like, oh, make it a good birthday. I want to have a great birthday. It, it's with mixed emotions that Russ is no longer with the podcast. <laughs> mixed emotions. And so instead of telling really funny jokes and really clever callbacks and like really making it hit, I think we're going to need to be like Miles Davis and change. We're going to reinvent the podcast format. So from now on, guys, we're only telling really boring stories that almost apply to nobody. Rob, I'm, I've been waiting my whole life for this. I'm ready for this. This is... <laughs> when you want to hear about the greatest albums of all time, <laughs> but you're just too lazy to look it up online. If you want to hear four guys who chat and then they get off track... I've got the perfect podcast for you, Jack. Beck did it better. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the groovy after midnight. Beck did it better edition <laughs> on. We're talking about jazz. And I've got three guys here that when I mentioned Bebop to them, they thought we were talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I got Matt in Minneapolis. Matt, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I got my nunchucks ready to go. Me and Michelangelo learning a lot. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I did not get a big response to that, by the way, on that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles joke. I feel like maybe that went over some people's heads. I was I was more of a rock steady guy. I was never really oh, deep. Okay, I was okay. a rock steady guy. Oh, there we go. Aaron, who is your favorite teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle bad guy? Uh, wait, there's only one bad guy, right? Is Shredder oh, the bad guy? Two. Oh, you oh, think geez. April O'Neil was the bad guy because she yeah, told him Shred what to do? Sexist. Hey, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Shredder, Bebop, Rocksteady. Quang or whatever, the pink blob. Quang. Oh, man. Shredder. Wow. Or how about Casey Jones? I know know Casey Jones was a good guy, but he literally just ran around with a a hockey mask on, beating the crap out of stuff with a stick, right? 
Classic New Yorker. In the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, <laughs> in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, Casey Jones literally puts Shredder into a garbage truck and then crushes him. It is a child's movie. You see Shredder get crushed in a garbage truck. That fucked me up more than Large Marge and Pee Wee's Big Adventure and everything. Like seeing Shredder, I was like, yeah, the Large Marge is awesome. They're they're like fighting ninja style. And then all of a sudden a guy gets crushed in a garbage truck. And I was like, oh, no, that is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) That's Large Marge. Uh, Rosie, I got Aaron in California. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk about Miles Davis tonight. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm shocked. I got Russell in Minnesota. <laughs> Russell, how are you doing? Fellas, if getting ghosted on Bumble and acting like it was a mutual decision was cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> uh, and I'm in New York. I'm Rob. And I want to remind you that last week I had the joke uh, that in Europe they call him Kilometers Davis. And I got a lot of positive feedback on that. Everybody loved it. <laughs> Uh, people have been asking me to write packets for different late night shows. Not a big deal. <laughs> Edit point 72. I and have you're only to, kind of cool as you stated this album was in your opener. I've got to say two things to start the podcast. And it really was hard for me not to say this in our uh, hour long pregame that we did today. But I have to say this. Today was the first day where I have, I went out for an outdoor. It was nice outside. It was like 60 something. I went out for drinks after work. I went out for drinks after work with some old coworkers of mine. And then I came home and I had a giant poke bowl. Okay. I think there was something wrong with that poke bowl. I feel like a lot like Hulk Hogan did. When he was over at Love Sponge House. I thought of you guys right away. I, I took a nap even and I woke up and I was like, oh God. He's like a pig. I got too much sushi. Blah. But I was like, well, I can't tell him this before the show. I got to tell him on the podcast. So I am, if I suddenly get up and run out, Aaron, you're the new host. Okay. If I get up and run out, you're in charge. I'll be the main host. Was your wife there to help out with your sushi issues? No, of course not. She didn't get home. She doesn't want to be home with me on a Friday night. She came home and I woke up. I set an alarm for 10 p.m. I woke up and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I have the podcast. She's like, oh, my God, I'm going to sleep. We're like, we're like hot. We're like hot bunking it on a sub. There's like one bed. We go stop in and out. Uh, and you then didn't, you didn't wake. You didn't wake up in the middle of one of your coworkers rooms in the middle of the night with a gawker cameraman in the room. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. They would not release that sex tape. No matter how like, no matter how exciting it was, nobody would want to see a sex tape of me the other thing i have to say to you guys stay ever oh oh, so then i i I got this poke bowl and it came with this raw sushi right and i think one of the pieces was not very good but i've got a real problem i accidentally double ordered everything so i have two poke bowls i have another one sitting in my air quotes there with your accidentally (laughs) so i've got another one sitting in the fridge and i think this one made me a little sick it but I still awesome. want to eat that second one tomorrow night Get so bad. I'm already looking oh. forward to it. It's going to be so great, do guys. It. Do it. You got to go. The other for it. option you go is you can it. you can take the fish out, saute it till it's cooked through, and then you you know if you take it above 140, you're good. You're going to kill all the. You throw that out and you go get a new one. Baller like no, you, you can't get. You can afford it. You throw no. that thing out and go. But I kind of want to eat this one and get a new one. It, Why don't you eat it right now answer. on the air and we'll see oh how well this goes over the next hour. <laughs> no, I right now I feel like in my stomach, I feel like that guy in alien where the alien bursts out of the chest. That what I feel is like is like growing inside of me. But I'm not gonna lie, it's worth it. That Poke Bowl is so good. I love it. And I think what I love about it is I get the sriracha mayo. It's just mayonnaise with sriracha sauce. It's like nothing. It's just and that's what I like. It's just so good. I think How I would just eat that name? and be happy. I've really come around to mayo as a as a backup condiment. Mayo on its own, I love, but mayo with mustard, mayo sriracha, yeah, mayo really brings out the the other best qualities of other condiments. I agree with you. Have you tried this cranch? Have you tried? No, no, that sounds delightful. It's uh, who sells it? Kraft. It's 
ranch and ketchup mixed together in the bottle. Rob, I oh, thought you said yeah. this was going to be a funny episode. It's like it's like <laughs> Minnesota cocaine. I always say that. It never happens. Okay. If you mix mayo and ketchup and put some pickles in there, that's almost like a Big Mac sauce. That's that's where you're that's where you're living right there. It's delicious. I'm feeling so ill right now. All right. So I gotta start off actually with an apology. And now an apology from Beck did it better. I'd like to take this chance to apologize. Absolutely nobody. To absolutely nobody. Beck does it better. I know what apology should be. I'm interested to see if he's gonna apologize here for what he should be doing. The other weekend, I cleaned out my coffee machine, and guess what? It was very oh! satisfying to clean it. <laughs> oh, I got to the, I did the water tank on the back of an espresso machine, and it was like fuzzy mold. I was like, oh my god, how long have I been drinking this? So that was two things because I thought about like number one, we had a conversation about like because Aaron wanted to talk about, I don't remember what he talked wanted to talk about last week, but it was like, have you ever been in a situation where you realize how filthy it was? And that was it. Like I looked at this water I'd been drinking for months. And it was so gross. Like, if you're like, you need to drink it out of this container, I'd be like, absolutely not. But it's like, you need to drink this with coffee. I'm like, oh, sure. It sounds really good. And then I wonder why I'm sick, like, all the time with my stomach. Who knows? It's a mystery. So, Aaron, yes. there's your apology. Cleaning out the coffee thing was very, very satisfying. I was wrong it's about so that. It's so wonderful. You just feel like a new person after that. I've been doing it on a weekly basis now. Well, I didn't say that. That's psycho shit. What you're doing. I don't understand that. Every week. It's craziness. I, I think I've told you guys this before. I'm not a coffee drinker. I have had less than five cups of coffee in my entire life. Did you guys know that? We talked about so, it on the iced coffee episode, right? We talked about, yeah, about iced yeah. lattes, right? Yeah. So I, I, I'm always terrified if a woman suggests uh, a date at a coffee shop that I'm going to have a complete meltdown. She's going to, she's going <laughs> to watch. I'm going to have to drink coffee when I don't want to. I'm going to order a hot chocolate. She's going to judge me for drinking hot chocolate on a date. I don't know what to do. No, you can't. No, there's all kinds of options at a coffee shop. You can get a mineral water. Yeah. You could get a, you could get a tea. No. Well, the last Plenty time I just yeah. ordered like four to five <laughs> rounds of those coffee cakes and she didn't go for that. So <laughs> you can get a sous vide Look, egg, all yeah. kinds of choices. Yeah. I'll have a venti size yeah. rice crispy bar, please. Yeah. <laughs> couple, throw a couple of those scones in there and I'm good. The good thing about a coffee shop, you mean you, they got lids on it for the most part, right? You just get like a black coffee, just, you know, say, hey, fill it up halfway. I only want a little bit. You know, you could literally pretend like you're drinking. She wouldn't know if you're drinking the coffee or not. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to something here. Matt's a genius. Yeah. I've just I've just accepted that if that's that's the route with that lady that I meet on on one of the apps, that it's just it's going to go down in the tubes anyways. And I just it is what it is. <laughs> I like that confidence, Russell. Uh, all right, let's Brother. go right to our voicemail. Hi, Rob. Yeah, um, Terry Sadler Ooh. calling here. Uh, First-time caller, long-time listener to the program. I'm just curious to think, your uh, get your thoughts I on wish. the new stylings of the monkey beard. What? And uh, how how that would work in your line of work and uh, just overall in your manscaping uh whole regime if that would be something my whole regime is this is this this an ad for like manscaping like the the personal trimmer if you will like that's all i heard and i feel like rob has probably signed us up for an advertisement is that what's going on or not no not at all but i will say you know what the problem is guys (laughs) cubes okay let's get rid of them how are we gonna do it well i'm thinking about the manscape 2.0 i know it's got some gels or something i I cannot believe rob rob has sold ads on on our podcast (laughs) 
Okay, <laughs> watch this. On? Uh, so he was asking about the monkey beard. Have you guys seen the monkey beard at all? It's the beard that comes yeah. from down the sideburn around the facial hair, like around a goatee up to a mustache. Have you guys seen that at all? You know what? I, I definitely. I not. guess I used would have called that a chin strap beard back in the day. When I was younger, I used to have a goatee, and I often had different types of facial hair. I would have the the just like the kind of chin beard where you let the chin beard grow. I had a goatee. At times, I had like a full beard, and I've also done like I I would have called that a chin strap, where you have like the very thin. Oh, oh no, we're no. we're way off, Russell. I I I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Google it. The monkey beard is only on one side, Russell. Oh, well, it goes then, down yeah. one sideburn and then spins around the lip. Oh, that's there's like a, the yeah. Mike Mike Fires did that. Yeah, picture for the baseball yeah. did that. Yeah, 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 Mike Fires did that. So wait, I just pulled this up. Our listeners need to pull this up. Is this monkey beard a real thing? Do people really wear this? Guys, speaking of pulling it up, I want to talk to you about Manscaped. <laughs> what? Are you dropping in a dropping in a sting there? Is it muted? <laughs> yeah, is this muted? Yeah. I'm so sorry to Miles Davis and his estate <laughs> for the so first what were you saying, Russell? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. What were you saying? Is the monkey beard, is this a real thing? Do people really wear this? Or is this like one or two people and now it's it's the it's on TikTok or something? I, I think it's one or two people. I couldn't imagine having an uneven facial hair look and going into work. Like it would be really, it's, it's kind of like confusing, even looking at it on that one person, isn't it? It's kind of off putting. I haven't seen yeah. a person's face for so long. I wouldn't know, but why would so you like do that? It looks like the concept basically, if I can try to explain it, is like the, uh, a tail is wrapped. Like you got a monkey sitting on your head and the tail is wrapped around. It comes from like one ear down around your chin and then, you know, wraps up around where your mustache would be. Yeah. And so, oh, so then if you take the, like extend the metaphor even further, that means the monkey's butthole is right above your ear. This sounds terrible. Why would anyone want to live that way? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Where, where else would you rather have the monkey's butthole on your head? Out of your <laughs> options. <laughs> Guys, I mean, this is, cause you is can this our monkey's butthole easy, episode? Oh no. I think we, we might need to move on. I was hoping we get to at least episode 100. I think one of the most fun things about facial hair is the first time you unveil a new look, you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. You're like, I'm making a change. I'm going with the just the goatee instead of the beard. I'm going with the mustache. I'm going with the chin strap. It's always like a, to- it, it, it's a totally new thing. And you've got to just put yourself out there. And you got to throw it out there. And maybe you guys That's have true. ever done that. Do you guys ever remember having like, a change in your look or like a change where you're like, okay, I'm kind of nervous. This is something new I'm trying. And, and how did that go for you? Well, again, the only time I can think about doing that was my sweater vest episode. And it didn't, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I made out with that girl. So it actually went, okay. It went exactly how I planned. I was like, I will wear this if you kiss me. And she's like, okay. And I was like, okay, good. I will, I will get down on my hands and knees and walk like a dog. If you will kiss me like a sweater vest was no big deal to me. Hey Rob, if she's still single, I'll let you wear that. Well, I'll, you can mail that sweater vest to me and I'll, I'll, I'll get into she's that not. Anymore. And I'm Facebook friends with her and I'm terrified that she's going to actually listen to one of these episodes and hear the story about how pathetic I was when I got dumped by her. But I'm pretty sure now that's not going to happen. I did have another experience when I was out to drinks today where somebody goes, I said, Oh, I have a podcast and they go, Oh, cool. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, moving on. Well, as you know, Russell, I made a big leap uh, a couple weeks ago. Short shorts. And I went from nine inch yeah, shorts to seven. So how's far, it it's been great. Are you at five this week or not? <laughs> no, but I, you know, I it's gotten hot. It's gotten pretty warm out, and going around the lakes. I, I mean, seven might be too long now. I don't know. I think yes. I might have to. Yes, but for a little while. Seven inch shorts are going to do it, Matt. You know the shorts are getting short enough when it looks like you're laying a hairy egg. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't get it. <laughs> Your balls. Uh, all right. So Aaron, have fun editing that. This 
So, uh, by the way, you can call the Beck line yourself, 802-277-BECK. That's 802-277-2325. God, our <laughs> listeners are dumb shits. They're just the dumbest of the dumb. God, our <laughs> listeners are dumb shits. Just the dumbest of the dumb. God, All right, only four minutes shits. left. So just this the dumbest of the dumb. Just the now, dumbest of the dumb. Now, let's move on dumb, to dumb, our dumb, next dumb. section, which, of course, is rolling going. Oh, my God. We haven't even gotten to rolling going yet. My stomach has literally healed in the time that it's taken to get to rolling going. Maybe I'll go get that other Pokeball right now. That might not be a bad idea. I told you. Eat it up. That's a good idea. See how the rest of this place goes. Aaron, rolling going. How's it going with you? Oh man, Rob, it's, it's going, it's going good because I'm here talking with you guys, but it's been another stressful week for me because, uh, you all know, I love the radio. The radio is important to me, important to my life. They changed this shit. Aaron, you realize there's, there's gotta be like a year or two where the radio, your son, he will never grow up knowing what the radio is. It will be gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it will be like you talking talking about the telegraph. Yeah. The radio has changed. Are you guys aware of this? That now there's HD no. one. Wait, Have you what? heard about HD radio? Are you aware of HD radio? Nope. Not aware yeah, of it. See, I wasn't aware of it either. So HD radio apparently came along in the last, I don't know, X number of years. And it's a way to broadcast a digital signal that's supposed to be higher quality. But it also now is a way for the same call letters and numbers to share a frequency. So now in Oakland, we have 102.9 KBLX which yeah. is the this Bay down, Area. Everybody. Yeah. So, the, but now 102.9 KBLX has HD one and yes. HD two. Yeah. And they switched over what the fuck? Sunday morning inspiration with Miranda Wilson, the Sunday morning <laughs> gospel, which we have been listening to faithfully for five years. Now that's on HD two. Mm-hmm. I can only get HD two in my car. I can't get it in the house on my FM antenna. I can't get it through the Sonos, through the TuneIn app. I've been reading about this. on the. I've been trying to figure this out. I've been sleuthing the internet all week. I can't figure out how to listen to 102.9 HD2 in my house because that's where they're playing Sunday Morning Inspiration commercial free on Sunday morning. And they've already cut back the, the amount of time that they play Sunday Morning Inspiration. It went from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. to 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Commercial free. We're missing out. Keep going. Yeah, and so last week I did okay. I ended up just playing Kirk Franklin, which is like a really nice, of course, a nice way to spend your Sunday you on morning. Sundays. That's yeah. my Sunday jam, Kirk. I, okay, exactly. So number number <sighs> one, Aaron, this. when the, when the president gives his fireside address and you're listening on the radio, are you able to find that still? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear how the uh, how the Great Depression is going? So do, are you, well, are you able they, to yeah, tune that's that probably in? on the non HD channel, so I don't have yeah. to worry about that. I don't have to worry about HD one. Aaron tunes in like that. every Wednesday at, at noon or whatever for the sirens <laughs> that play. And listen, if you understood what the hell Aaron's talking about, why don't you text the Bex line eight zero two two seven seven. Uh, two three two five. I want you just to, to text radio. Oh yeah, radio. Oh yeah, that's what I want you to text. If you understood Aaron's story, if you if you don't know what's going on, you can you can text radio. Oh no, radio. No, radio. No. Okay, I, I got three takes. You can the, use one of those, Aaron, when you edit this. The only person that could possibly know what Aaron's talking about has to be so old that the only way they yeah. could communicate with us would be via carrier pigeon. There, like, there's no way. Someone knows what Aaron's talking about that can use a text right now. This, they Start changed telling. the radio. 102.9 is there's yes, two Aaron, different 102.9s. It. They changed the radio. It's terrible. But isn't it isn't it more like if if your program and you're probably one of the four people that are listening to it, right? If, mm-hmm. if, especially if it's 
It, which yeah, is well, great. Rob's but like, been cranking for that radio for a while. It's fine. Like if it was yeah. that great, they wouldn't move it over to number two, right? Like it would be still a number one. That's kind of the deal. So like if you're like a top 100 listener or top 40s or you've got your cool radio stations that everybody listens to that gets paid a lot of ads and stuff, you're not getting bumped to number two, right? Is that how it works? I'm, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Uh, why why I, are I you trying know. to figure this out, man? We, we are talking to Aaron about I listen his to the radio two radio too. stations. I like the radio. They, I listen oh to 96.3. I thought you were going to talk about your station got sold because my station got that sold happens. here in the Twin Cities. And all of a sudden That's you got upsetting. some... You know, you got some church songs on there, and it's just horrible. It's like, oh, man, what happened to my good station? Yeah, so I don't know. You know, I was just telling Russell earlier, I was like, Russell, you know what the problem with wagon wheels are these days? They're so big. The wagon <laughs> wheels are so big. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to drive my oxen around the trail. What the hell are you guys talking about? Who cares about the radio? Yeah, there is the are... internet. I can get all your radio stations on the internet, Aaron. Yeah, I... you get... No, you can't. You can't get you can't. KVLX yeah. 102.9 HD2 on the internet. That's the problem. I can't find it on the internet, Rob. This is what I'm saying. Challenge I'm with accepted, you. We're together right, on Rob? this. I can't, I can't believe I cut off a date early for this. This is, uh, this is <laughs> the all-time low of my podcast life right now i i i yeah I, this, this is my life i'm with you though rosie there's one there's one thing i'm trying to remember what it was it was uh it, it was the sunday morning thing and it came out oh of denver God, and it was the first time that i had ever heard ray la montaigne right he's playing the oh, song trouble yeah. and it was this i, I can't remember what but it only played uh, it's from from six to seven thirty a.m. on Sunday morning. It was like they, what, uh, what do they call that simulcasted or whatever, where you uh, you pull it from another station, pull it, and it was the only time it was ever on, right? And then all of a sudden it's gone. And so I, I'm with you. I, it's it's come to rely hey. on to become part yeah. of your life, and then it Welcome changes. Welcome to a radio show. It's Sunday mornings from six a.m. to seven thirty. This is a song for this is a station for psychos. If you're listening now, you have problems. <laughs> so we're gonna play Ray Blah Montania to tell you how you're feeling. He's like trouble. So speaking of the psycho listening to this, speaking of the radio station, there are three of the four of us main hosts and subservient hosts Mm -hmm. that were actually radio DJs slash hosts in college. It's true. Rob, you had a show that was very famous at the St. Olaf campus. Extremely famous. The Rob and Sam show. And I believe Rob, why don't you tell us like what was the one, the most famous show you did with the, the Vikings game? Oh, where we simulcast a live uh, Vikings game. So you could yeah. turn down your radio and we would do the play by play. And the, to set that up was an incredible pain because we had to, I had to buy 200 feet of antenna cord, set up an <laughs> antenna across the parking lot, have an antenna that barely picked up the game, move the TV to the window in front of the station, but outside of the station. So anybody could just come by and take the TV if they wanted to. There's literally nothing I could do about it. And then the game went to overtime. So the, the show behind us, which was world drumming. And it was, it was the people that hosted that looked exactly what you'd think they look like. Like they show up in like those, like, you know, like uh, those is Pancho that, Villa, like is that where, <laughs> those yeah. drug rugs or whatever you call them, you know, the, the, like the stuff you'd <laughs> no wear. No one calls them anything. Yeah. So no, he's, no they're drug rugs. Drug you know rugs. what I'm talking about. Yeah. A drug. So they'd show up with one of those drug rugs. They'd be like, Hey man, my, my world drumming show is supposed to start. Hey, and I'm like, man, it is overtime the with the Packers, you idiot. Like I'm, and then sure enough, it ended with a, the, the, the famous Chris Dishman yeah. touchdown where yeah, he, he was Freeman, like on right? the ground. It bounced off his dumb skull and then the Packers just scored a touchdown and Sam and I looked at each other and we're like well game's over I guess like, it was so depressing yeah. <laughs> Sam really carried that show it's yeah. true that dude is talented we should so, get him on here so yeah the we funny really thing is we, we were friends with Rob at the time and 
I think it was junior year, Aaron, you and me and one other person, our friend Darren, decided to start our own radio show because we thought we were as funny as Rob, but we, we clearly were not. Turns and as we've, we been, not. we've been showed this multiple times over. I, I but yep. do you guys remember when you went to pick your radio show time, they would essentially fill, put all of you people, all of us in like a big room, and they would call you up one by one and you would get to go pick your time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was junior or senior year. Like we essentially just said, we want to do a comedy show. Essentially we wanted to do this type of thing because you had to tell them what type of show. And I remember someone gets called first and then Robin Sam got picked second. You guys got to go sign up for like the second best time mm-hmm. slot for the whole campus. Right. Yeah, we Rob, picked Sunday, that- Sunday morning, five thirty AM. That was our time slot. We picked. Well, legit, that's about the time slot that's we got. That's exactly what our time so, was. Yeah, we were 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. We, Aaron, Darren, and I had 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Sundays, and it was the worst. The yeah. worst. Yeah, that was absolutely our time slot. We had we had one epic episode, and, and maybe I'll let Aaron jump in and tell this, but at one point, we were. have you guys ever tried to do the drink this a gallon the- of milk in an hour challenge or anything like that <laughs> i think i've tried it but not consciously like it just happened you know <laughs> it's like god damn i love fruit loops hey where did all my milk go <laughs> you got confused with the poke bowl and just took down the oh, gallon oh, instead oh, oh. okay yeah, I, so we, I, I gotta know, go take it, a five minute break it was the early days of the of of the prank Jack, internet and jackass stuff jackass yeah. was happening and somehow we saw that there was an internet prank going around about trying to drink a gallon of milk in an hour. And Russell was convinced he could do it. He thought for sure he could drink a gallon of milk in an hour. So we yeah. said, okay, let's do it. And much like Rob set his television up outside the studio, we set Russell up outside the studio <laughs> so that like if he happened to barf up all of his milk, well, if you remember, barf Aaron, all over the studio. We told the radio, like the main people at the radio, that we were going to do it. And <laughs> yeah, I, we tried to raise money for charity. We said, if you call yeah, in and did. donate, you know, a couple, whatever dollars we'll spend, all this money, if, if Russ can do this, put it all towards charity. Full disclosure, we didn't know the name of a single charity at that point in our life. And they said he could absolutely not drink this in the studio. In the studio. So that's why I had to sit outside the window, right? Yeah, so we set him up outside in the student commons. And I, I don't know how you did it, Russell. Were you doing shots or maybe a glass every five minutes or so? I don't know, and, but I strategized for it for like weeks. Like I had a, a specific <laughs> plan like of like you, Russell, that's so of what I was going to eat and everything. And yeah. yeah. And I would say you know, like any, like any other physical task like this, you know, Hercules moving the um, stables, all of that. It seems easy at first. And yeah. then you get to a point where it's not easy anymore. And then it really got bad fast. I remember watching <laughs> from the studio and it just, it didn't take, it was real quick where it looked like, oh, he seems like he's slowing down to, oh, he just projectile vomited half a gallon of milk over a 40 gallon trash can <laughs> sitting in front of him all onto the floor. <laughs> like, but I actually have, I should try to find the CD, but if you go back and listen, it's the Aaron and the other co-host that wasn't as good as Rob. And Turtle. they're talking and they're taking callers and they're talking. And remember at that radio station, you had to play one stupid song off the yeah. system. Like yeah. every hour, they yeah, wouldn't let you work the there. Yep. Yeah. yeah you and so they're, the they're and... playing the one song and, and they're talking. And then all of a sudden Aaron just goes, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like 15 minutes in. It was a complete disaster. But I love, I, I distinctly remember the uh, uh, drinking milk episode because I remember hearing a clip of it. And it was like, it was just like that. Like, oh, hey, everything. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> just describing, you know. And it's so sad because literally if I had a time machine, that's probably what I would go back and see. Like all, like 
birth of my children, my wedding. No, pass. I'm going to go back and watch Russell <laughs> try to drink a gallon of milk in an hour. And we all know how it's going to end. Like, you just know how it's going to end. You know what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's so and, great. And if we, if we don't get over the 112 download epi- per episode within the next week, Matt's bringing it back and he's yes. going for the gallon. We're yeah, just going for the it. gallon. Oh, I think I can do it, guys. It. I like that commitment. <laughs> I believe, oh. Matt, you can do it too. I believe. I, you know what? I bet if you said that I had to eat 50 deviled eggs, I bet I could do that. <laughs> 50 deviled <laughs> eggs? Yeah. How many deviled eggs do you think you can eat? Uh, not more than two. Those are disgusting. I could eat two dozen. Uh, Matt, rolling going. How's it going with you? Uh, good, good. I'll, uh, I'll keep it short. We got to get, I got to, I got to get to bed tonight. I'm <laughs> solo parenting it. I'm babysitting my kids this weekend. So I got to, I got to, I'll keep it short here. Uh, hey, Matt, can I just say this as a dad watching your kids? You're a real hero. Okay. You keep up the good work. You're doing a great job. For the most part, babysitting your kids is not that bad. Yeah. You know, but it's every once in a while, like, you got to make lunch and dinner. Oh yeah, and breakfast. I mean, you got to make three meals a day. I don't know. That's why I've said when Jenny's gone, we do the no rules. No rules. Yeah, there's no rules. That's what, as soon as she leaves, my kids turn to me and I go, "You know what the rules are?" And they go, "There are no rules." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's when we do our screen. We cry your dinner to come to dinner. You have to have a screen in front of you with headphones so nobody talks to each other. It's wonderful." Leo, Leo is trying. Leo's my nine year old. He's trying to set up. You know, we always say, like, "What are we going to do today?" You know, and I say, "I don't know. It's just." sit around our underwear and play video games, you know, and they think that's hilarious and we tell everybody we're playing video games and underwear and stuff like that. So he's trying to, he's trying to, what if we, what if I made my bed for like a month and I did piano and, you know, he's like trying to come up with this stuff so we can have a full day of just playing video games in his underwear. Like if, if that dude could, he'd play 10 hours of video games a day. So trying to come up with it. So I don't know. We'll see. We're going to, we're going to have one of those days, Rob, where we're, do you, think just, do, you, do you think he'd be willing to edit a podcast? If he edited this episode, maybe you could... Uh, it's a lot like a video game. Yeah. yeah. Matt, do you ever play your kids in the video games? Do you ever play them, and can you beat them, or do they beat you at the games? No, you know, I've been scarred big time uh, from past friends. Tom, my buddy Tom from Richfield, just would kick the crap out of me, I think. Or, and then Kevin from Nashville. Was the game, was there a game Doom back in the day? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know, things yeah. like that. Yeah, and then, uh, I forget the game, but then, then I get to... St. Olaf and the, the pod, you guys are in the pod wars, right? By the way, Matt is talking about football. a game, just to let everybody know, Matt is talking about a game that was big in like 1996. That's how right. long, far back this goes back. <laughs> yeah. Rob points this out like our listeners aren't old as shit like we are. Like, Rob, we don't have 16-year-old, <laughs> no. 18-year-old listeners. No, I think we're fine. We're very big with the sub-20 crowd, for sure. They want yeah. to hear all yeah. about yeah. drinking podcasts. milk. The issues we yeah. have now with drinking milk. But we got St. Olaf. You guys had these epic football wars between the two pods. Yeah, and I'm trying true. to remember where they had these big screens set up. And what was the game? Was it NCAA football? NCAA football. Yeah, we had was, yeah. essentially two groups of four friends that yeah. played a round robin. One team. We, I mean, we went so in depth, but essentially one of our groups of friends, Aaron and I included, had the Texas Longhorns Hook'em yep. Horns yep. with, uh, well, who was okay. it? Not Vince Young. We had Chris Sims. Chris okay, Sims. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I got to interject Sims. here because you guys are making it sound like you just got together to play games. I want to describe what people are talking about. Right. They would have <laughs> a team. They would play a full schedule. So that means like it'd be like, okay, Wednesday, you got to come over and we're going to, this person's going to play this person. You, you would play home yeah, games true. in your home, in your home in, TV, in your, home, in your yeah. home. They would literally room. change where they played yeah. the games depending who was the home game. And yeah, then true. they would go through and simulate an off season. So they would do recruiting and working out and the whole thing. And it was like a huge deal. I mean, to say that they got together and played games, this is like 
it was like hours and hours and hours and everybody and it and it destroyed a lot of friendships if I recall correctly. The the, the most it famous one. The most, <laughs> this is probably this was seven in shorts that were big. I back know you bring it. It's up on probably me. at least in the top three angriest moments I've ever seen Aaron have in my life. Aaron is like <laughs> the most chill, laid back dude in the world. I've rarely see him get that upset. This is in the top three. We were playing, and Aaron was playing our buddy Manny in college football. We were playing on the road. So you're we playing in Tennessee, in, and these yeah. guys would play Rocky Wish Top. Rob, you got to yeah, pull up Rocky Top. That's the only reason I know Rocky Top. Wish that I was on the road in Tennessee. Best fight time in college football. And so they would always score, literally. You guys would have friends sitting there, like, cranking the radio Rocky Top, like, cheering against us. And Aaron was playing our buddy Manny. And Manny was just kicking the shit out of him, just bolting yeah. his ass. Yeah, he did. And he gave he's it just me. destroying him. He's up like 56 to nothing, and we're all in there. We all feel bad for Aaron. And Manny goes for two, two-point <laughs> conversion after a touchdown with like one second to go. And he does it, and Aaron just throws the controller down, <laughs> like slams it on the ground and stormed out of the room. He was so pissed. I he's hope like, that guy proud. never gets like I'm a not, head football coaching job. because I mean, that was just going to be. He got a head coaching job, right? I'm not proud of those moments. Not proud yeah. of those moments. So that's the, those are the guys that, you know, I'd come in. They'd be like, hey, we're, we're, you know, we're playing this. You want to play a game? And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, so then it's like, again, it's like 78 to 2 yeah, kind yeah. of a deal. And so it's like, well, this is great. So I never hey, got we, into video games because of that. Russell, rolling going. How's it going with you? Uh, it's going okay. I thought I would go back and I thought we could play another game. It's going great at the beginning of the podcast. And now it has downgraded it to okay. I thought, I thought we could maybe go back to the corner. I feel like you guys have been kind of putting me back on the right path in the dating advice corner. I need to go get some dating advice. All right. Get, 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 get to the corner. It's time for Russell's advice corner. Oh yeah. All right, Russell, get ready for some advice. So I know Matt always loves to introduce segments, and I introduced one last time. Remember, it was called Love or Confusion, or Confusion, depending on how you want to put it. But I'm going to put a little twist on it because we're listening to Miles Davis today. So the the game is called Love, Confusion, or Kind of Blue. So the question is, should I be in love with this? Should I be confused, or should I feel blue about this? Should I feel sad about this? And we're not talking about balls this time, right? We need to edit this part then, or do I need to delete my No, I'm saying, like, is this part of a date? Like, would this give you blue balls? You know, something like that. Is that what this Are is? Are your the balls kind of blue? confused by what you're yeah. looking at? Are this, is this love? <laughs> is this confusion? Will this turn your balls blue? All right, first question. Love, confusion, or kind of blue? First, first scenario. I've been going out for a woman, going out with a woman for a while. Let's say we've been on five to six dates. Love. Love. So then I go to invite her out again and I send her a text saying, Hey, hope you had a great weekend or whatever. We should grab a dinner and drinks. I would love to catch up to you and hear about some uh, a trip she just went on. And I get a complete silence. So at what point do you decide you need to text again or do you give up? At what point, if you don't get a response, do you follow up and keep calling or texting? Or at what point do you give up when? You've been out. It's not a first date, so it's not, hey, we're not into each other or there's nothing there. You've been out enough times. You know each other and you get no response on the text. What is the proper way to proceed? 
10 seconds. I think within 10 seconds, if they haven't replied, it's okay for you just to start piling on the text of like, hey, <laughs> did you get this? Did you get this? You must not have gotten this. Oh, is my Wi-Fi working? Call me. Number? And then you just start calling over and over. And then you're like, oh, maybe you blocked my number. So you set up a Google voice number and you keep calling on that too. I see. Like, real I think quick, that's a good idea. Send a selfie with the mustache, one without the mustache. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that actually, that's a topical question because if you used the Gmail app on your phone, Gmail would let you know that there's been no response and ask you if you want to follow up. And the reason I know that is because I sent my co-hosts an email on Monday about this episode and Gmail all week kept asking me if I wanted to follow up because I didn't get any response from that email. So yeah, this may surprise everybody, app. but Aaron's email was long and boring. <laughs> like I read it. I was like, oh God, there's a lot of these like took out this picture of these cords. I'm like, oh my God, this is boring even over email. I don't think I would literally survive to another episode if every time I sent a text and it got no response from a lady that it said like I got a warning from my oh. Verizon carrier that like Russ you texted this woman eight times and she has yet to respond so love confusion or blue so this one is not really a dating thing this I got this from a friend and I'm not sure how to feel about it so I thought I would share this text that I got from a friend who actually is a listener to our podcast it's Ryan wow. from Hugo he called once Dumb he's shit. the macho man guy and I don't know if I'm allowed to put him out there but he texted me the other day and he said I've got a weird confession to make yes Okay. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. <laughs> he says, I feel like I'm cheating on you guys with Mark Maron's WTF pod. I've listened to a few in the past, but now I'm a completely addicted. So essentially what he's telling me is he's loved the pod, but he's moving on to a more successful pod. How do you guys mm -hmm. feel about our listeners listening to other podcasts and not solely focusing on ours? I say lock the gates. Come back to like our podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I don't know. What like, we're only, fuck? what are we doing? We're putting out an hour to three hours of content a week, depending <laughs> right. on how much Russell edits out. Uh, I, I think you got to yeah, be out, out there listening to other podcasts. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, obviously, I mean, we are the gold standard, but it's okay to go out. You know, I, I think I think it's kind of like being married, right? Like, it's okay to go on other dates and then see that your marriage is good when you go on these dates, <laughs> right? Like, I think that's a cool thing to do. I haven't talked to my wife about it, but I'm sure she thinks it's fine, too. But it's good to test the water and just see if you still got it. It's like, that's why I have a Tinder account. It's not a big deal. I, you know, I'm, I'm more thinking about Jenny being like, ah, whatever. Good, good luck, yeah. Rob. <laughs> How's that she's working like, out for you, Rob? She's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to bed. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm very busy. I'm going on a lot of dates. No, Rob, I, I was curious. When Matt brought up Jenny not caring if you were to go on a Tinder date, do you guys have, you know how people have the rule where you have a, a free pass or whatever it's mm -hmm. called, a hall pass where there's celebrities? Yes. I'm kind of curious. Do you guys have a hall pass with your with your spouses where if if Rob were to run into someone, you're allowed to I overlook your nuptials or not? I learned a long time ago, Russell, to never ask her about her, you know, dating in the past mm. or any celebrities or anybody else yeah, she finds attractive. Because you always pick somebody that looks exactly the opposite of me. And she's like, right. oh, this is the person I think is so attractive. And I'm like, oh, why did I do this? This is so depressing. Right? Yeah, same. I don't, that's not a road I go down. Nope. No, sir. Like, like, don't need to know. Yeah, like we go see like King Kong versus Godzilla. She's like, oh, that King Kong is so sexy. Like she doesn't say stuff like that, right? It's always like, oh, he, you see this tiny jockey who rides a horse around? That's who I find attractive. This very small, tiny, athletic person. I'm you see like, oh, no. Snaps that, snaps that whip. Yeah, she's like, I really love somebody who listens to the radio on a Sunday morning. I'm like, baby, that'll never be me. I'm a wild animal. You can't cage me. That's like Sarah. Sarah's got Tay Diggs. That's like, oh. Oh, whoa, yeah. That's 
right. Matt's identical twin, yeah. Tay Diggs. That guy, yeah. Really good looking guy with a good smile. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I saw him on Broadway actually in Rent in '97. Yeah. Very good. Tay Diggs is like he's like one of the most attractive guys of all time. It's it's wild. Yeah, he's extremely handsome. All right. Speaking Should of handsome, Miles on? Davis is very handsome. Yeah, Miles Davis. In fact, so handsome that when he was younger. Now, okay. I, I now actually, everybody, shut up. I've got to send out Nobody another saying anything. double. You just interrupted yourself. I've got a double. Okay, 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 okay. okay. I got everybody, shut up. Okay. I've got a double apology today because I have to apologize to Ken Burns. I gotta give it up for Ken Burns. I watched this jazz documentary to get ready for a Miles Davis episode, and that guy fucking pulled it off. I it, it is crazy, and I just look at a picture of him. And in fact, I posted a picture to the Back to the Better Instagram of just Ken Burns's hair, just making fun of his hair. And then I watched this documentary, and I was like, I, I, "What can I do? This guy's a genius. He will show the same picture five times of a guy playing a trumpet." And just zoom in to different areas. And I'm hooked every time. I'm like, wow, it's like I'm there watching this guy play the trumpet. I mean, it's he literally is just doing, looking at like, it'd be like if you sit down with your family and you're just looking at pictures like, this was your great uncle Harold. And you're like, yeah, but it's like Ken Burns, he makes it exciting. His hair is fucked. There is no doubt about that. He should do a documentary <laughs> on his hair. But he can make a documentary. This thing on jazz was so good. It was crazy. Dave Brubeck was talking about jazz and I was, I was tearing up. Like that's how good it was. It's, it's insane. Oh, yeah, so, the Brubeck segment is great. Beck Time out came out in 1959, <laughs> just like kind of blue. I actually, you guys will like this. I actually, one of the records I stole from my mom's house was the Dave Brubeck five or something like that. Yeah. And I've yeah. been saving it because I figure at some point I'm going to be able to use Dave Brubeck did it better. It's a good, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great example of this West Coast jazz. And listen, I think the, the rest of us, the three of us have Matt and Rosie. We've watched, uh, Aaron, you cannot take a solo while we're talking. This is, not, this is like jazz. You got to shut up while I'm playing. I'm soloing right now. You shut up and sit back. You're the rhythm. I like free jazz. I've been listening to Ascension by Coltrane. This no, this, this show is pretty much free jazz. Matt, what's your history with jazz? Um, man, not not a lot, I would say. That, you know, first off, I, I'm very a novice at it. The more that, the older I get, I think the more I appreciate it. I've never played an instrument. I've played like two months of trumpet in fourth grade, right? And then maybe like a year or two of piano in second. So and you're pretty year. much the Miles Davis of yeah, this group. Yeah, so pretty much. So I, you know, like I have zero reference on, you know, how all this goes in a 12-12 and a, you know, no, we were playing in a seven, what, you know, I have no idea what any of that is, Right. And so I just know what I hear. And I think growing up, you know, everything was about having lyrics and, you know, full-on songs. Well, I don't know if my attention span is just completely gone now, but I can't have, like, music on that has lyrics if I'm mm-hmm. working or yeah. doing things like that. So I love nothing better than on a Sunday morning putting on some sort of jazz or something and reading Wall Street Journal. Like, it's just pure heaven. The fact I pissed Sarah off the last week because I told Dad her like, you gotta energy. go, you gotta, you know, get, get, you know, get. This is my time. Everything. So I, I wait. I just, you said to her, you gotta go. That's just what you said to yeah, her. You said it's my hour to sit here. I put on, you know, I just tell Alexa to put on John Coltrane. Hope she your guys is your guys Sunday mornings are packed. Yeah, you guys do so much <laughs> on a Sunday. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and I, I pilot. You know, so I, I, I'm long winded here to say not very much, but like I'm just completely enthralled by it lately. And after watching Ken Burns's documentary, you know, I, I would I would say this to call it elevator music is a complete, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard. I, I, I don't want to 
uh, call you out, Russell, or anything, but it's like a no, huge, please do. I I deserve huge, to be called out it's, for it's, it. It's, I just, I'm admittedly I'm un- uneducated and deserve to be called out yeah. for it. I think I think calling I think calling it like elevator music is like saying like all offensive linemen are big dumb galoofs or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just it's completely painting it into one picture, and then sure. to particularly get somebody like Miles Davis and Coltrane and Charlie Parker and Louis Armstrong and all these people, you know, who essentially wrote American music, you know, mm-hmm. to put, to, to call it uh elevator music is just, it, it, I think we, we need to take a step back from saying that. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, it, well, it, it's there, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, there definitely is a, there, there's the obvious racial component of jazz, right? Like that's the whole basis of it is they were forced to play music that they couldn't record for a long time. I mean, that's where this whole bebop thing got big in the first place is that they finally allowed Charlie Parker to actually put out an album in the first place. I mean, it's it definitely the history of the United States is totally reflected in jazz. And is that a saying I stole from the Ken Burns jazz documentary? Absolutely. <laughs> I sound right. smart. Right I totally did. On, that's yeah. why I'm moving my face closer and closer to the Zoom camera. So it's like a Ken Burns where it's just my face and zooming in and out over and over. Rosie, what's your history with jazz? Yeah, my history with jazz is um, I played in the jazz band as a kid, right? So I I was exposed to mostly like big band styles of jazz because I played trombone in uh, junior high and high school, but then didn't listen to it a lot. Um, I know that I bought this album, uh, Blue Train by John Coltrane and Monin by Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers at some point in college. I went to Sam Goody. Was that that one Tony Danza put out? Where he was like, oh, who's the boss? Monon. I don't get it. Samantha. <laughs> Jonathan. Samantha. No, 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 Samantha. <laughs> at, one, at one moment, Rob makes makes a very serious statement about race and jazz in America. And then he makes a Tony Danza joke about the greatest hard bop drummer of all time. Art Blakey. Mona. Anyway. Very smart. I, so, but I, I like what Matt said because the thing that uh, I've, I listen to jazz every day now of some kind, it's either what I put on on the radio or yeah, when I'm up by myself at night, I love putting on some jazz. I have maybe 10 or 15 jazz records in my vinyl collection. And the thing about jazz is that it's not to be for me. What I love about it is that I don't understand it. I don't get, and as, as we've talked about it this week, and tried to study it this week. I don't understand what's going on harmonically on this album. I don't always understand rhythmically what's going on on any jazz album, but I know what I like, just like Matt said, and I like the mind frame that it puts me in. So I listen to it a lot now, but growing up, I never understood it. And I think it's uh, an extremely complex and vast art form. So we're going to talk about one album from one year. That's just a small slice of what, what jazz is. But um, I, I, I like it because I don't understand it. My problem is, is that I, I spent the whole week, you know, I was looking for like greatest jazz and I am now an expert on the uh, John Stockton, Carl Malone pick and roll. So I think I screwed up because you guys are talking about stuff and I'm like, I actually don't get what's going on here. Uh, you know, four, four time. What is this? Four quarters. Okay. That, sorry. That's getting cut out. Uh, so let's, so Not here's the goal. Week. Is that yeah. we are going to? That's the best joke we've had. What are you talking about? <laughs> we are going you know, to, to be fair though. Aaron is editing this one. This is going to be our first Aaron edit ever. So if this one completely goes off the rails, there's going to be only one person to look at. I, right. I do think we were in trouble when the guy who majored in music in college is like, I don't understand any of this. I'll lead us through jazz. And our goal is that we are going to educate Russell, and he's going to come out of this loving jazz, being able to talk about jazz and 
at, and he doesn't even need to watch the Ken Burns documentary. We're going to do it. Ken Burns did it to me in like 18 hours. I'm going to do it to Russell in 13, like 10 hours. Minutes, yeah, yeah, 10 hours max tonight. It's not going to take that long. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll take the 13 or 14 hours of doing it. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing I got to do is I got to put my hair, Ken Burns hair, hairstyle. So I'm going to take my hair. I'm going to flatten it way down. And then I'm going to somehow cut it so none of the hairs are the same length. I spent so much time looking at Ken Burns hair pictures online today trying to find a meme to put on Instagram. It, it kind of burned my brain, actually. Uh, so Miles Davis... Basically, I'm going to give you the three things you need to know for this album. Miles Davis quote was said, I need to change is like a curse. Because at the time, jazz, the big kind of jazz that he was dealing with was coming from like people like Charlie Parker. So let me play you a little bit of Charlie Parker. Uh, this is Coco. And this is a style of jazz called bebop, which is basically how fast can you play? How fast can you improvise around these chords set that we have? And you can hear the chord changes, but he's flying during this. I mean, just moving. And Miles Davis came out and said, I'm actually listening for when I don't have to play. So he's coming. This is the jazz that we're starting with as our bedrock. And Miles Davis is going to come in and say, too many notes. I want to have the silence actually be part of the song. But listen to this. Man, they're flying. And then he took that he took that idea to extremes when he, if you know, much later in his life with albums like In a Silent Way and then Tribute to Jack Johnson, Bitches Brew, he really plays with space in music. And so you could, like, it's crazy that you could hear it as early as 59. But yeah, this album, I mean, this, this music is just dense. Uh, so then he basically said, yeah, the thing with bebop is that eventually you're limited by those chord changes. You're limited with... It just got to a, it was kind of an arms race of like, who can improvise the best? Who can play the fastest? Who can play the most notes? And at some point, you almost become a stereotype of jazz, just playing faster and faster. And I kind of liken it to like these guitarists that you hear, you know, like a Steve Vai, where it's like, like they're Yingy super Malmsteen. technical. Every, like, yeah, like these, yeah, Yangi Melstream is a great example that the musicians love him. Nobody else can stand it because it doesn't sound like, like it's, it's more like music for musicians rather than like music that I want to hear. Um, and so then uh, Miles Davis, is he's playing bebop with Charlie Parker. He's doing all this stuff. And then George Russell, Russell comes out and writes a book about instead of music being based around chords and scales, they're going around modes. And so he, the mode is the space between the notes. So I want to give you just a little guide. We're going to actually start with the last song, Flamenco Sketches, because this is the one that talks about that really talks about modality. So Flamenco Sketches, the way this song is set up, and Aaron sent me a very cool PDF of, of all the solos. Every are every person in this, and Aaron, don't laugh when I say this, sextet. Yes. Every person plays a scale, and when they're done with the five scales in a row, it's going to go to the next person. The scales are not based around a note. They're based around a difference in the note. And these differences can give the music different moods. So, Russell, I'm going to play for you the solo. Okay. And then I'm going to play for you an example of music that is in that mode because I want to show you the mute, the mood of the music. Cool. So here we have flamenco sketches. This is scale one. This is Miles right off the bat. This is his first scale. And this is an Ionian scale. So it's, listen to this. It's kind of a major scale. It makes you feel like happy. It's kind of open. It's fun. You know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, that kind of stuff. And a great example of a song, Russell, that you might know that's in an Ionian mode is this. Oh, this is, I am, I am capable of playing two songs on the piano. One is the Jurassic Park theme song. 
Yes. The what? other is the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. You guys remember Beverly Hills Cop? I love it. Jurassic Park. What a great movie. What a Straight great. Jam. This has got to be one of the greatest <laughs> kind of classical movie theme songs of all time, right? Played this in the eighth grade band at Adventureland in Altoona, Iowa for the state ensemble contest. My band, Can you Adam imagine the crowd? On the horn. Shut up. Can you imagine the crowd that is listening to a high school band at Adventureland in Altoona, Iowa? I think it was just my parents and my grandparents. I think that was it. That I was going to say. That was, that was the entire. And like any carnies who were like on a break, maybe. I don't know. So this is uh, Miles' second scale. It's a Mixolydian. So listen to this. It's a little more edgy than that Ionian. It's the same song. It's like 10 seconds of this. Yeah, you, you could start a fight over this one, maybe. Yeah. Let me reframe. Let me reframe what I'm doing here, because basically, jazz up to this point was based around people toying around with chords and then finding the harmonics to those chords. Miles said, "I'm going to play all the chords I want and any scale you want. I'm just going to play different modalities, which is the space between the notes." So I'm showing you the different modalities because they're in this song, mm-hmm. and it would give a different mood. So, for example, that was a mixolydian modality. Here's a song you might know, Russell, that also has a Mixolydian modality. So listen to this. Whoa! So you have like this you have like this edgy it's it's a little more edgy. It's they're playing a scale. It's the same thing, but it just gives a different feeling than what like Ionian of the the last one. So then we go back to Ionian. Right? So so literally it's back to this happy mood. (laughs) The sun's back. Then Scale four, right? And they repeat this. Every soloist does these five scales in order on this Flamenco Sketches song. This is Fringian, and it's very, like, foreboding. Listen to this. So this mode gives a much different mood because it's a, the spaces between the note are what we call Fringian mode. And this is all happening in the space of 45 to 50 seconds on a, on a yeah. track. Yeah, and so a song you might know, Russell, that is based around a Fringian mode. Ooh! Ooh! Ooh. I mean, definitely gives the mood of, like, you're in for something. All right, so, Rob, I know I'm slow and stupid. Explain to me again, in layman's terms, Layman's terms, why? How are you connecting wherever I'm, I may roam with what you just played? And in, in basic idiot terms for me. So the spaces between those notes when it goes, that's a Phrygian mode. Those notes make up a scale that's okay. like a Phrygian, and that's what Miles Davis is using for his uh, third, fourth scale in this song. Okay. So then, his final scale is a Dorian again. So it's it, it's actually a Dorian for the first time. This is kind of a, they say that it's melancholy, but it's optimistic. So kind of like my life in general. Check us out. So now the space between the notes are different sizes. So you get this feeling of like sadness, but it's not like minor sadness. It's not like disaster. Mm-hmm. So here's a song you might know that has this modality to it. This is Dorian again. Okay. Oh, Lord right. Isaac. So it literally is like the space between the notes sets the mood of the music. And that's really what you have to know about this album. Because then when you listen to this whole song at one time, Flamenco Sketches, this is John Coltrane now on saxophone. This is his first scale. 
So he's just playing notes found on that scale. Right, and the ability for them to coordinate this and to know which scale they're in when it may or may not have been written on a page. I don't know how they were doing this. I mean, you can't overestimate the amount of time these guys all spent practicing their horns, playing scales. So somehow a lot of this was just in their bones and their blood, and they they weren't necessarily, as far as I know, calling out the name of the scale. They just, they knew it, they felt it. And now we're here trying to study it years later. Where would I learn these terms that Rob's using? Is this like high school music? Is this college? Is this uh, advanced? Yeah, it's it's probably, I I know I learned modes in college level music theory, and I don't remember them now, because the the major scale that we know, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that's a mode. Yep. And then, which is maybe Ionian, Rob? Am I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm Listen, if it's not on the website, I checked five minutes before this recording. <laughs> I don't know it. So any way I've, to I've, I've always modify been more of that a mode guy, uh, like is an it? ice cream guy. I've been <laughs> an a la nice. mode guy. I've, I've never nice. been into this mode, but I'm going to go a la mode all over this thing tonight. Yeah, it's like a math term. Instead of Matt being a mean old daddy, today he's a mode old daddy. Oh, looking for yes. numbers that he's appear the most. He's a median old daddy. He's a <laughs> harmonic. Aaron, that's sick. But what's crazy about this flamenco sketch is that there's other versions of it that it's it's literally a whole different song when you listen to it played the second time because yeah. they're just improvising based on the modalities and they're following like a guide. Like the skeleton is there. Like the first scale has to be, you know, whatever I said, uh, Ionian. The second one has to be Mixolydian, but they can do whatever they want in that modality. So that's why you hear, you're going to hear differences uh, with different versions of these songs. And that's a big one because now when we go to the opening song on this album, So What? This is literally the song is set up. It's 16 bars of Dorian and then eight bars of E flat Dorian. So it's it's a it still is based on the modality. It changes. So this is how the album starts. I love this. I love the bass piano interplay. Paul Chambers on bass, yeah. Mr. PC. So this is still a 32 bars, but it's it definitely is dealing with the the modes. Guys, I just am so smart when I'm talking about this stuff. I can hardly stand it. We, <laughs> You're reading comprehension. It's off the charts, Rob. I mean, yeah. I have. So, yeah, I think it's interesting, though, to think about. It's like anything with history. And, Russell, you read a lot about history, right? So when you read yeah. about a president, when a president is making history, they don't necessarily know that they're making history. And sure. I've, I've read interviews with Jimmy Cobb, who's the drummer here. Uh, on, I think he's the drummer on all these tracks. And he says, we didn't know we were doing anything different. We just thought we were playing another session. And then it turns out many years later, they changed the entire face of jazz. So for some of these guys, they didn't know it was a big deal. What's wild is that Miles would come into this, these recording sessions, with literally like a plan for what the guys would play. They've never heard any of this stuff beforehand. And all these songs were recorded in two nights. Like, And, and Flamenco Sketches, for example, was just recorded in one take. Like it's crazy yeah, how these talented guys are working and playing are. all the time. I mean, it's just what they did, right? I mean, I think "So What" is probably the most famous song off this album, don't you think? That's the one I've heard before. That's the sure. one I've heard a lot. I hear a lot of covers of it. Yeah. So I'm going to warn you guys. I did ask Aaron for timestamps. So here we have Miles' first solo. I just love so Aaron, when, yeah. Aaron does does Miles play multiple instruments or does he a multi instrumentalist or one one instrument? I think on this whole album, he's just playing trumpet, and then sometimes yeah. he's playing open, sometimes he's playing muted. He played few, he played flugelhorn, uh, which is similar to a trumpet. Is that like the, curly, like the curly, like the curly, the curly-looking trumpet? Is that the big horn that it's you play on a mountain? Bigger. It's 
<laughs> he played flugelhorn, I think, on Birth of the Cool and some other stuff. But at this point in his career, he was playing trumpet only. Um, and so, yeah, you can hear on some of the tracks he's muted and some he's playing open. This, obviously, he's playing open. Uh, and then we also have in the band John Coltrane on saxophone, who after this, of course, became ultra famous. Yeah. And he, I mean, he recorded Giant Steps not that long after this. Yeah. Well, he kind of had a few things before. I mean, he was kind of like coming into his own. It was almost uh, fortuitous, I think, that Miles got him when he got him to come in and record with this, uh, you know, with the band. So Yeah, because he's a massive talent, right? Yeah. It kind of leads into our, our list for the, for today, Rob. Uh, oh, let's hear it. We got a list? We got a list for today. Uh, oh, Russell. yeah, I love it. I love lists. John Coltrane. No, be quiet. I'm soloing. <laughs> Pass it to me. This is my Dorian solo. For another better countdown. By the way, the mode I'm using for this podcast today is Borean. 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 Go for it, man. What do we got? Uh, I, I'm certainly not going to get through this as well and eloquently as uh, Russell usually does. No, I'm excited for it. I'm, I love it. So I, I just I, I wanted to play off that uh, theme that John Coltrane you know, was playing with Miles Davis. So essentially, you've got two massive artists that are on one album that is one of the best albums of all time. Okay, so there's been sure. a few times uh, you know, where you've got a, call it a, a uh, supporting musician who's been part of a big band that has then gone on and become uh, their own kind of uh, rock star in their own right, uh, have sure. a solo career, moved on to another band. And so the first one I we can't got, wait till that happens to me. Well, God, I can't wait to get we're out. We're dreading of this that film. day every day. Yeah. I know. Dreading we're it every just, week. We're counting down. I'm so. going to go work on a, a different podcast and they're going to be like, I'll be like, okay, what time on Friday night do you want to record? They're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You're a psychopath. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Genesis was a band that started in England in the late. 60s and they've sold Zinga. over like 150 million records uh albums records whatever however you want to say it over their lifetime one of the most successful bands of all time so rob go ahead and click on the the phil collins there but phil collins started out he came in as a as a backup drummer coming in this is the stuff that that genesis was playing early on in their life and this is uh who is this singer peter gabriel peter gabriel and you'll hear Peter, Peter Gabriel. This is Peter Gabriel sure. went on to his solo career. But, but when he went on to his solo career, Phil Collins took over as the lead singer of Genesis. And then during a couple breaks, Phil Collins ended up doing his own solo stuff, to which we'll get to some of the famous stuff here. This, this oh, has got to yes. be the most, like the ultimate drum solo ever right yeah. the, the spot right most people call it the most perfect drum track there is and that was based off of a drum machine i guess and there's some stuff and we'll probably get into it some other time we have brought yeah. this up before but uh john legend uh well-known musician now started off yeah. playing with lauren hill when we, yeah when we talked about this and so Very john cool. legend played with uh, kanye in a couple albums before going on and having his own uh solo career so he played well and well Big time talent these days. So what a beautiful one of the ones man. that I think you know, most people come up with. It's uh, pretty darn obvious. Is Dave Grohl who was? Can the we drummer stop? For- Can we stop? How, how long did? So John Legend, I feel like he's popular now, but Lauren Hill's record was like what twenty five years ago. Was he super? He was in yeah. college or when, he when college. did he play on that yeah, record? He was like a junior in college. He, right? Yeah, he was in college when he was playing on that record. And then in the early two thousands, he was uh, 
hanging out with Kanye a bunch and, and doing some stuff with him. So just okay. think Russell, when you, when you were in college, you were trying to drink a gallon of milk and burp <laughs> you your brains out outside a radio station for a total of, <laughs> for a total of five listeners. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's playing with Lauren Hill piano. Yeah. Go ahead and play. Uh, so, you know, the obvious one is Dave Grohl playing with Nirvana yes, as the drummer. This is badass. Uh, you know? And so he here's right here. Ready? Listen. Oh, Great start. And we talked about Dave Grohl's influence with Nirvana, how his, his drums really is what kicked it off. Yeah, you know, and so then obviously you go into some of his solo, you know, the Foo Fighters are a monster in their own right, so. Yeah. The last one, and I got Who's pull- bigger? Who, who's bigger? If you guys had to vote, who's bigger, Nirvana or the Foo Fighters? Nirvana. Well, we've covered a Nirvana album. Yeah. I'll just say that. Yeah, but the Foo Fighters were in Varsity Blues. That's really tough to... <laughs> that is true. You, oh. There has only been one one band that played in a movie where there was I a whipped cream, bi- whip cream bikini involved, right? <laughs> a tan! A tan! My wife always quotes that movie when she goes, I don't want to your, life. your wife. Your wife. <laughs> I don't want to be my joke. I was soloing. Sorry. All right, cut it off. Let's so Rob, Rob do that again. Right, I, I jumped out. Okay, Aaron, edit that. Do it again. I don't want to be your wife. What kind of accent is that? <laughs> uh, that's the Farsi Blues accent. Oh, that's very good. Oh. All right. So the last one I've got here is uh, in the early 50s, a guy named Buddy Holly was playing, and he had a little-known yeah. backup or a bass player. Go ahead and hit play there, Rob. <laughs> All right. So Waylon Jennings was supposed to be on the plane really? with Buddy Holly. Okay, but some some D-bag named J.P. Richardson claimed to have the flu. And so Waylon Jennings graciously gave up his spot, you know, to J.P. Richardson, who, as we all know, J.P. Richardson's uh, stage name is... Oh, no, baby. The Big Bopper. The Big Bopper. (laughs) Oh, baby, I was sick. I got the flu. The big bopper's been doing some big barfing in the toilet. I had a poke bowl, baby. I don't think the fish was very good. Oh, baby, bad fish for the big bopper. Definitely the worst thing that's going to happen in my life, baby. Oh, yeah. That's bad great... fish in a poke bowl. You know. So Waylon Jennings like. played with Buddy Holly? Yeah, so that song, the, the, the song that we had, I was trying to see how long Rob would go on there. That was pretty, that was pretty long. That was good. <laughs> oh, did you say Big Bopper and the Long, long Baby? Long that reminds me, I have to wear long shorts because of my Big Bopper, baby. <laughs> oh, I'm the dirty Big Bopper. I'm back. Rob, will you just do me a favor and do the Chantilly Lace, put it in my face bit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, this bit is the number one worst thing to happen to me, the Big Bopper. And oh. I died in a plane crash, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. That was better than this bit is going right now. But I can't stop, baby. I'm addicted to it. The podcast is going long. And I keep going, baby, because it gets a laugh from Aaron. So I'm desperate, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't say anything, I'm going to keep going, baby. I thought, Big I thought, think, I'll go all night long. I think it was yeah. a great so, so lace, Put it in my face. face. The long story I'm short, Rosie. It's going down. Waylon Jennings should have been in uh, the Big Bopper's place but he ended up uh taking a, a he was going to take the bus up and so he's uh went on to be one of the outlaws of country music in the 70s so yeah so wait, this is a this is a super cool list so matt when when we're listening to this miles davis album was coltrane famous at the time or did he become famous afterwards or do you guys know when he kind of emerged as his own performer 
Uh, I don't know if I know exactly the timeline. I do know that he put out a couple of his own solo albums in like yeah, he was already seven fifty. Yeah, I mean, he was he certainly was well known as a musician um, in the jazz scene, but you know, in the early sixties is when his big albums started really coming out. Sure. Yeah, cool. Blue Train would have come out after this. I mean, this came in 59, and then uh, Giant Steps would have been not too much further out. And um, I'll, we'll get into it when I do my rating. Uh, I think Love Supreme, for me, is the greatest jazz album of all time, which is like 63 Love or 64. Supreme. But Love uh, Supreme. Yeah, he was already, Love I mean, he was certainly Supreme. known for, for his talent Love at this Supreme. point. Speaking of John Coltrane, I've got a clip here of John Coltrane on So What, handing it off to the other saxophone player in the sextet, Aaron. Uh, Cannibal Adderley. Yeah, the alto sax. Cannibal Ox? Cannibal Ox? <laughs> yeah, this is Cannibal Ox. See, this is this is badass. It's really it's really stunning the way the the soloists are able to just pass from one one to the next. And uh, sure. I, I think Cannibals is my favorite solo on this particular track. I really like it. So here we have what Aaron just sent to me as Cannonball having fun. Let's hear what Aaron thinks is fun. Oh my God, Aaron! This is so fun. I'm at the playground. It's just—it's so light and lilting. Yeah, he—he he could be doing pull-ups on the playground. You never know. This is definitely the music I listen to when I go to the playground and take my shirt off and decide to do the pull-ups on the jungle gym. This is—I've <laughs> I've got this. I usually don't even put in headphones. I just let it play out through my phone. It's—it's it's, it's pretty cool. Aaron was saying earlier that his kid was like, I don't want to listen to this. I want to listen to Jimi Hendrix. And Aaron's like, No, this is fun. We're having yeah. fun listening to this. It's this is what I do my pull-ups too. He's been disappointed this week. He was like, I want to listen to Jimi Hendrix. So then at the end, we call back the initial theme of the so what in the first place. So this was Miles Davis's big thing is that he didn't like after all of this free jazz kind of took off where it's like, we don't need to base it around anything. And he was like, those people are insane. You have to have a skeleton that you're growing this whole thing on. And so you can hear him calling it back here. So then I also wanted to play you this. This is a version of so what from about 10 years later, a live version. And you can hear how much faster they're playing. I love, yeah, I love how fast this is. And again, a, a big part of this is that Miles got bored with it. He said eventually the, this kind of blue album, he said it was like old turkey. It was like warmed up turkey. He's like, I don't care about it anymore. It's, it's just nothing to me. I don't it's like crazy. turkey. I think turkey is so overrated. I would never pick a turkey sandwich with you guys. I, had yeah, one today, I used actually. to not pick turkey sandwich. Then I started putting cheese on it. It's okay to put cheese on a turkey sandwich. That's I think if I it's thinly sliced, you're good. But I think there's a reason we only cook turkeys once a year. Yeah, <laughs> right? it's not that great. Turkeys I love this recording. Done. Yeah, it, this is from Stockholm, right? Uh, yes, I knew that. Uh, next up, we have Freddie what, Freeloader. Thing, can, can we? I don't, uh, Rob. I know we're going out of order on this one, but uh, I actually went to my book, Booze and Vinyl, and they do Ooh. have Miles Davis in Booze and Vinyl. So I thought I would share. I'm drinking a few cocktails tonight. Can I share my first cocktail with you guys? Yeah. You know it, it Daddy-O. Let's hear those cocktails. The first Ooh, one yeah. is called a Bumblebee. It has rum, dark rum, fresh lime juice, honey syrup, and an egg white. Are you guys big into oh, putting egg whites into oh, cocktails? Oh, I, I love, love egg. Yes. I love egg whites in cocktails. If you make a whiskey sour without an egg white, get out of town. I don't yeah. need you. Egg white and the whiskey sour is perfect. This drink with the egg white, it's frothy and approachable. It's sure to lose any prospective jazzer or jazzette. It's just plush with a slight sting, and it relaxes into a soft embrace. Ooh. It's not very good, though. I think I mixed <laughs> it wrong. I think I should have, like, measured better. Well, if it you barf nice. on this podcast, Russell, it's going to be the second time you've done it on a live radio. I so also am kind of embarrassed to share, like, I'm not one for, like, I will have cocktails with the, the egg white in it, but I don't really make them at home. 
and I, you guys are aware I was a little late to the podcast tonight and I was rushing to make this drink and I accidentally dumped the whole egg yolk into the, into like my mixture oh, and, no. and had to like fork it out of there. So there may be a little more that I wasn't signing up for in this cocktail. You're getting a little protein there. You're going to be, you're going to be like super buff tomorrow. You're going to be like bodybuilder, Rocky big. Start calling everybody awesome. brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. I just had a cocktail and had a full egg in it, brother. I don't like want to give all the bits Blah. away here, but Russell's talking about eating raw eggs and we're listening <laughs> to Freddie Freeloader, which to me is, is the lightest sort of, and Russell's talking about bumblebees and uh, the, I think Freddie Freeloader is sort of the lightest track on the album where you can, you can kind of hear the, the players dancing and kind of sparring with one another. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but, but Miles throughout his life was a boxing enthusiast uh, and trained as a boxer, was also a big fan of boxing, um, particularly of um, Sugar Ray Robinson. And there's a sure. great history of writing about boxing and jazz. Uh, George Foreman is, is uh, there's a famous quote attributed to George Foreman, boxing is like jazz, the better it is, the less people appreciate it. Oof, I mean, that's, that's pretty so poignant good. right there, right? Yeah, so there's a yeah. lot of great connections between boxing and jazz, and specifically miles and boxing okay but i was thinking was there a was there a beck who did any boxing and it turns out there was a heavyweight named owen what the heck beck from jamaica who challenged for the wba heavyweight title in 2006 by the wbc number 10 heavyweight in the world by the ibf ladies and gentlemen please welcome the undefeated Owen, what the heck, Beck, had a 29-10 and 10 record as a professional and yes. challenged for the WBA heavyweight title. So I have to ask you guys, when it comes to boxing professionally, who did it better between Miles Davis and Owen, what the heck, Beck? Owen, what the heck, Beck did it better. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, it, so happy. So this Freddie Freeloader is a more straight up 12 bar blues. You can kind of hear him shifting the normal chords you'd hear in a, in a 12 bars blues song like uh, Crossroad or, or something like that. Aaron sent me this sound and he just said, is this where Miles hurt his lip? Aaron, what the hell are you talking about? Well, right I, you talked about how Miles later in his career would say, I'll leave this behind. I need, I need to change. I need something different. And one of the things that he said was this true or not. I don't know. But he said, I don't I don't play those songs anymore because they hurt my lip. And he might have just been saying that because he wanted to move on to something different. But I do wonder, and Matt, you played trumpet for a while. Trumpet, when nice. you watch the videos <laughs> of these guys playing trumpet, it looks brutal, right? Like when you see Dizzy Gillespie's yeah. neck puff out gigantically. And so it you looks can see like Louis Armstrong's a, lips. You can see the, the imprint and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's there forever kind of a deal. Yeah, like, it so. looks like it hurts. And so I think there are some sounds on the album where you can kind of hear like, well, that must have hurt Miles' lip. Like he's really going to the limits of what he can do. So that was that was this was one spot where I thought, well, maybe this is a thing that he didn't want to do more later in his life because it was hurting him. Here's a little more Coltrane on Freddie Freeloader. Ooh. When oh, he shows oh, up on this one, that, that, that's a moment right there. Like you took we talk about like moments on albums. So even me probably not appreciating this like I should. When that kicks in, it's like, oh, that's a holy shit moment. And to me, when you're looking at albums on the top 500 list, I want holy shit moments, and that was one of them right there. That's so just good. a 
perfect five seconds of music. Like something about that, the way it was recorded, the way he was playing, perfect. Yeah. And compare that to Cannonball style here, Cannonball Adderley. By the way, this was the only song that had Wynton Kelly on piano. That was Miles' old uh, piano player because he he wanted him on it because he was more of a blues guy. So yes, and but this, again, all these songs were recorded in two nights. So can you imagine he like brought this guy in for one song and then he was like, okay, leave. You gotta, Similarly, I, when Coltrane was recording Giant Steps, oh Aaron, had, can you give me a second? Actually, Aaron, I brought somebody else on the podcast. Can you just leave for a little bit? This is the part where we need to be funny. So I need you to go. I'm going to bring in somebody funny, and then when we want to get to boring stuff, you can come back. All right, let me know because I got a, I got a Wooden Kelly fact for you when you're ready. all right. So I muted Aaron. I can't hear what he's saying. But, okay, go ahead. Aaron. <laughs> Similarly, when Coltrane recorded Giant Steps, Tommy Flanagan is on piano for all of the tracks except for Naima. When Coltrane recorded Naima, which to me is one of the top five recorded songs in human history. He brought in Jimmy Cobb to do the brushwork on drums and Wynton Kelly to play piano. Aaron, I'm going to need you to make a list of a jazz primer set that I can put up on our social media if people want to get into jazz and be smart as shit like we are. We're not dumb guys. We're smart guys. <laughs> we like jazz now. All right. I've got uh, blue and green. I'm not. And you, if you think I'm going to make a Kevin Green on the Steelers joke, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Okay, that's a callback. That's a that's a big. That's I'm a not going to do that, and, and that's a deep cut. The only reason episode. you want to talk Kevin Green is because he was always famous for being the Hulk Hogan lookalike, and you just you can't get just enough like of that Hulk tape, can you, Rob? Yeah. Hey, brother, I play for the Steelers, brother. I just ate a whole bunch of sushi, blah, like ate like a pig. Blah. Okay, guys, after this episode, we're watching that sex tape. We're doing it together. We're oh, going to no. sit around. It's no, it's no ultimate script, but we're going to watch that sex tape together. It's going to rule. All right, blue and green. You guys, did we talk about this? Is this a Miles Davis, one of his first albums, or how long had he been around for? Is he established at this point or not? So he started playing with Charlie Parker, right, as the as a trumpet player. Okay. And then he 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 started playing trumpet at 12. So kind of like what Matt was doing. This is very similar to yeah. Matt so far. And by the time he was 18, when Charlie Parker came through St. Louis, he actually sat in and played with him. And realized then he has to go to New York, and he just was playing with him every night in New York mm. on that route that I would bike down. Ring, ring, ring with me and my big-ass helmet. Mm. Yeah, Miles had been playing for a long time. There's a string of maybe four albums prior to this one on the Prestige label. So there's Cooking, Steaming, Working, maybe one other. Uh, the Birth of the Cool Sessions were late 40s, Jackin'. and this is from 59. So, yeah, he'd been around Rubbin', for a long time. Shaving. What? It's like a loving and shaving and rubbing and touching and crying and hiding and apologizing. Okay. Uh, so Aaron sent me this clip. From, so Aaron, Blue and, Aaron, reminder, when you edit this, don't don't edit out that one part where Rob was funny and we actually laughed. Keep that part in. Keep that part in. Well, see, that's the, that's the key is that you guys just suggest the edits. I actually get to pick what comes in. So anytime there's a joke where it's like, this wasn't really that funny, I'm like, ah, stay, keep it in. Uh, so, no, Aaron's going to be blown away by the podcast. He's going to, like, listen to it and be like, oh, this is what it sounds like. This is crazy. I've never heard this before. <laughs> I should you should have your wife edit it probably, Aaron. She's probably more in tune with what's going on in the podcast. Uh, so Blue and Green was a song that was actually written by the piano player, but he doesn't get any credit for it. And he, when he complained about it one time, Miles wrote him a $25 check. Now, this is the greatest selling jazz album of all time. And Miles Davis is like, here you go. Here's a $25 check. It's so good. And this is another. So we go from the 12 bar where they're playing around with the chords, Russell. This is another modal song. So you can kind of hear, 
you don't hear a shift in tone or a shift in what chords or what notes they're playing, but they're making these jumps. There, that's what I have to say to sound smart. I just like but listen to the. the I always think guys playing. When I was younger and I would see guys playing brushes on the drums, I was like, this is the biggest waste of time ever. It's not loud. It doesn't rock. It looks stupid. And now that I'm old and I appreciate things like the grain of wood in a table. Like I have looked at a table and I've been like, that's really pretty wood. Yes. Like, or, or when I go into somebody's kitchen, I'm like, that's a really nice backsplash you have. I now finish. appreciate brushes on the drum. Like that's what getting older is. Backsplashes and wood grain. So this isn't sure. on this song, but do you guys think this is also the best album we've listened to so far that features any sort of cymbal playing? I mean, except like those, for the one Dave Grohl cymbal on uh, Nirvana. The, oh, yeah, that Aaron made us listen to? Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God, I remember that. Here goes my favorite spot right here. Aaron's emails. I'm like, holy cow, what's going on with Aaron? And Aaron's like, you got to get it right to the cymbal part right here. And I was like, wait, let me play it again. I didn't. I must not have heard it correctly. Yeah, Aaron's like, oh, it's my God, so, that cymbal's so good. I was like, oh, It's huh? so perfect. I, you know what? I, my favorite symbol artist, uh, I think, is Prince. When he was just going by the, the finger symbol. symbols. <laughs> no, I was saying the artist formerly known as Prince when he was just the symbol. Oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, I get it. Jesus, guys. Yep, that's I pretty good, it. actually, Rob. All yeah, right, now bad. we're so we're going back to a twelve bar blues. This is all blues. Actually, the song "Tambourine" by Prince has some really cool symbol work. If you want to peep that one out sometime. Actually, there, as you guys know, Booze and Vinyl does a side A and side B. I don't know if we're on side B because Rob switched up the songs. Yeah, but I'm also, I've also made it myself a second cocktail tonight, as you can see. This is side B. This is called a Martinez. Have you guys ever had a Martinez before? No. The plural oh, of sounds martini good. is Martinez. Yeah, I love Martinez. Old Tom Gin. It's got tom, some gin, vermouth, a lemon twist. I don't have lemon. But it, the best part about it is... I put some tang in. I have some I, leftover tang. I went with lemon juice this time, Rob, so there was some sort of lemon flavor. But the biggest the biggest ingredient is two dashes of orange-flavored bitters. <laughs> the idea you, that you don't have a lemon to me is so funny. Do you have some barrel-aged gin, though? That's because you got a barrel-aged gin for that. This album has always been employed to impress a certain sophistication, if you will. This cocktail is refined and nuanced. If you know it and drink it, it says you're an urbane member of the cocktail club, and Ooh. thus, obviously, good in the sack. <laughs> if you like this drink, it says you're good in the sack, so I'm going to drink as many as I can before the end of the song. Put on the Bumble profile. I love Keith Urbane. I think that's great. Uh, what were you talking about barrel-aged gin earlier, Aaron? That's what you have to have for a Martinez. You need to have barrel-aged gin. Oh. Old, oh, like I don't Tom think you should something? be saying barely legal gin. I don't I don't like that. <laughs> and you well, can edit that out later. All right. Well, all no, blues. No wonder this tastes like shit because mine must not have been barrel aged. <laughs> yeah. How could you not be drinking gin that's not barrel aged? This is Miles letting loose a little bit. By the way, this is our last song. So, I mean, can you guys imagine? And, you know, we're talking so much about editing tonight. Can you imagine writing this album? So here's like Miles and the piano player going back and forth. Imagine doing this knowing that it's all live. You're on a razor's edge all the time playing right. jazz. Like any mistake and this 10-minute song you recorded is gone from any of the players, from any of these the sextet. Like it would be 
so stressful. It would be like recording a podcast without being able to edit out super offensive things I say. Like, it would be a disaster. And it's probably late at night, so they probably just want to get done with it and go to bed, which is not like this <laughs> podcast at all. No, yeah, not like this probably like Matt yeah. is originally agreed to start recliner right now with his <laughs> feet up, just waiting for us to hit stop. They probably originally agreed to record like at 10, and then it seems like every week we're creeping closer and closer to starting at midnight instead. I love how you look at it that way, but I look at it as we keep creep, creeping closer and closer to like the two hour mark of the time frame. <laughs> oh, I love it. So here we have Cannonball Adderley again, right on the beat here. I just, he has this kind of lilting style that somehow is a bit different. Although I will be honest, I, I love Coltrane so much. I love Love Supreme. I worship at the altar of Coltrane. And I listen to this album trying to figure out if Coltrane is better than Cannonball, and I can't figure it out. I don't, I don't think he necessarily is. I think uh, these guys are all just such geniuses that you can't, you can't rank them. You can't compare. Yeah, who would want to rank stuff? That's so lame. That's a terrible idea. We should put a rating system on this. Listen to this <laughs> drum roll here. Listen to that. And, and and here, I mean, if you listen to the rhythm section just in general on this album, it's just. Aaron, good job picking out the sound clips this week, by the way. I'm so proud hey, of you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoy listening to this one. I like trying to pick out the the, the moments. Yeah, the, the bass, piano, and drums just work so tightly together throughout this whole thing. I, I think this was just such a huge shift from that super fast bebop jazz that we talked about earlier. I mean, this is another album where it really is. The, the thing is, is that it's just, this is a revolutionary album. It's kind of like the Sgt. Pepper of jazz, where all of a sudden it just like sent everything in a totally different direction. Thanks. I'm Ken Burns. All right. Let's get into our final rating system. And again, everybody loves it. They think it's great. And now it's time for everybody's favorite part. By the way, when I was out to drinks tonight, one guy there was a big fan of the podcast. So he wanted to talk to me about like... How we do system. stuff in that. And I was just so tickled, oh, and everyone else was mortified. Annoyed as shit that you were <laughs> talking about it, correct? And guess what? I don't care. I'm, I I want to talk to our dumb shit listeners and tell them how I do things. I want to talk about things I'm interested in, believe it or not. Let's get into our final rating system. Listen, this has been going long, so I'm just going to do this real fast. Uh, the first rating is rolling. This is 31 on the list. Do you think this album is rolling well-toned? Okay. That's a tone. Uh, do you think it should be at 31? It's perfect. Did it get rolling boned? And that means that it's too low on the list. Now that is confusing because that means that you think it should have a lower number. So you might say, well, it's low on the list. What does the lower number mean? Well, the list goes down. So being low is actually a higher number. A lower number means it got boned. So basically if you liked it more than 31 all time and think about it, this is Miles Davis. Okay. So Famous stuff. And we're smart. We're smart jazz people now. Uh, you think I got rolling boned? You can say rolling bone. Or if you think it's a rolling groan, groan. Oh, no. Guys, rolling groan. I screwed up. We got to start over on the podcast. <laughs> if you think it's a rolling groan, it's too high on the list, it, but it should be a higher number. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me right now, and I don't care. Let's get into it. Matt, how do you rate this album? Is it a rolling well-toned, a rolling bone, or a rolling groan? And that gag never gets old to me, interrupting people on the first time. I hear you. The I, I'm having a rosy moment where it's hard to rank this against uh you know like we're listening to uh lemonade by beyonce next right so how we're supposed to 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 russell's question five minutes ago do you hear anything it's just completely Mm. it's almost the first time i've said the the whole rating thing's kind of asinine so i'm gonna say it's rolling boned you know i think this whole jazz having gone through the ken burns thing you know i equate it to like rock and roll music right like rock and roll started out with buddy holly and then it shifted to 
the Beatles. Then it shifted to like the, you know, the stuff from the seventies and everything's moving. Right. And this Rob's point is exactly this. I think of this as like the, the Nirvana nevermind type album for jazz. Right. It kind of moved it away from what was cool and hip and everything into kind of just a whole new realm. And it opened up huge doors and everything. So from a jazz standpoint, you know, it's, it got rolling boned, but from a overall standpoint, I'm just going to say it's a uh, rolling well toned. Cause it's, it's hard to put it up against anything else. I'll tell you what, Matt, you were saying that you thought uh, it was asses nine, you know, in those short shorts, I think it's a 10. <laughs> uh, Russell, what do you think of this album? Admittedly, I, I said this at the very, very beginning and Matt mentioned it. I, I, I don't know enough about jazz music to differentiate why this music is so important and what sets it apart from if I just go listen to a random jazz band at a bar. And so this one was very tough for me. I, I really did enjoy listening to you guys explain kind of why this is different and why it set itself apart and why it was unique at the time. So I really appreciate that. And I think the biggest key for me has to come back to my dating life. We started with this near the beginning. I'm going to end with it. And I'm going to go back to the, the booze and vinyl book. The booze and vinyl book says you should drop this needle with some classy snacks there. And classy snacks. You got to have classy snacks. Dim the lights, set the mood for some sensuous lounging. But you know when they tell you to play this? They say when to spin is to impress a new dame. So I'm going to say okay. this is rolling well-toned. And the next time I try to impress a new dame, I'm going to spin Miles Davis kind of blue. So I appreciate you guys opening me up to a new type of music. It's rolling well-toned. Thank you. And listen, if the date's going really well and you think that she's too fired up and you really want to get her to board, talk to her about modalities in music. That seems to have a very calming effect on everyone. If it's like, oh, there's too many jokes going on. Things are too funny right now. I really want to bring it down. Drop that mixolodeon on her. The modalities of music worked for me the first, the last 40 years of my life. Well, it'll work the next one. All I can think about is if Miles Davis was ever like, okay, we're going to play a Mixolydian scale, and somebody goes, I don't know, and then they dump slime on him. I mean, it's mix, <laughs> it's Mixolydian, but when you say Mixolydian and you talk about dropping it on Russell's dates, oh. I really don't want to correct you. It's just, it's too good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Aaron, how do you rank this album? Yeah, I, th- this is where the list falls apart again. I thought it fell apart with Jimi Hendrix, but the inclusion of jazz on the list at all is absurd. So in doing some <laughs> brief research on the list in, in 1959, the other three albums that came out that, that I love that I know of are Ornette Coleman, Ornette Coleman, the shape of jazz to come Charles Mingus, Mingus, um, and the Dave Rubeck uh, is a quartet or quintet quartet uh, timeout. So just those three albums, like the fact that those are, I don't even know if they're on the list that doesn't even get into Thelonious Monk's entire output. It's, including jazz at all means you're telling me that uh, Velvet Underground's record is better than everything Thelonious Monk ever recorded in his life. There's just no way. So I disagree with including jazz in this list. Jazz to me is totally separate. Uh, And I will say for me, this is not my favorite jazz album of all time. For me, that's Love Supreme. I don't know if that means it's better because I don't know what it would mean to be better, but, but it's not my number one jazz album of all time. However, the players are so good. The music is so good. The tones are so beautiful that I can't say anything, but the album is, is rolling well-toned. Mm. Rob, this is Shit. where you put in your clever, your clever quip. 
I know I had a joke there and I can't remember what it was. It, that went so long. I had a joke at the beginning that I forgot. it. Oh, I, I went to too long. Out. I apologize. No, t- t- stop it. Now you make me feel bad when you actually apologize for screwing <laughs> up. I was just telling a joke. My God. I, I love how Rob though said how you apologize for screwing up. Like he, he told you that you screwed up by going too long. I love how <laughs> yeah. he did that. I tried. I, no, I practiced I did. that today. I tried to keep it shorter. So here's the deal. Listen, this obviously gets a rolling evolution, mm. right? I mean, this is really like a, 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 a huge step in music and jazz in general. And I, that's why I talked about all that boring stuff because I, I got a lot out of when I was researching this album of like, what is the big deal with this album? Because it sounds like every other jazz album to me. And we're going to have that continue next week because we are talking about Beyonce's Lemonade. And I think this is going to be another one where we're going to look back in 20 years at this album and be like, this was the start of a whole revolution in music so that has been it for this week on this new hepcat smart guy version of beck did it better when you want to hear about the greatest albums of all time but you're just oh, we did it guys we made it through a jazz album we, say, we, we talked about that when we started this podcast like, how the hell are you do this? Did. It was like pulled it off brilliant six six uh Tracks. It's the longest one we've had. Like, <laughs> <laughs> two hours of Beck did it better. 